1: With a new Atlantic hurricane season in full swing, a new hurricane forecast model is ready to improve forecast accuracy as well as increase our understanding of tropical cyclones. Joining me today is Dr. Sundaraman Raman Gopalakrishnan, senior meteorologist and leader of the modeling team that is behind NOAA's newest hurricane forecast model. The Hurricane Analysis and Forecast System, or HAFS, integrates the best of existing hurricane forecast models while adding in key advancements in research. The result is a more accurate forecast that helps scientists as well as the public. Gopal, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast.
2: Thank you, Marshall, for inviting me. Well, you
1: know, we were just talking off air about how we have a lot of mutual colleagues and some mutual research research interests across across boundary layer meteorology, urban meteorology, and hurricanes. But I am going to start the podcast with the question that I ask every Weather Geeks guest. How did you become a Weather Geek?
2: Yes, uh, that's a nice question, uh, Marshall. Uh, actually, uh, I'm, I'm from southern part of India, and then uh, at that time, when I was in, uh, probably as a ch- uh, kid, uh, I was, I didn't grow up as a weather Greek geek. But I used to walk the skies. Basically, that's where I started my science with. And uh, in fact, I still remember uh, constructing my because because of resource issues, 100 200 dollars getting a telescope uh, was uh, was a, a difficult bit for me at that time. So so I used to create my own telescopes, which which is very relevant to the work that I do now in a different context, though. Uh, but then those uh, the, those telescopes, I could even look at. Uh, I mean, in fact, when when I, when I was in college, I used my telescope to do. To look at Halley's comet, but uh, it didn't work out that way. Uh, you know. But then I could even 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 look at by stars, and uh, th- those were the interests to start with, basically. And then when I when I went to uh, Indian Institute of Technology uh, for my PhD, uh, uh, my interest uh, during that time was more on turbulence and kiosks because kiosks i wanted to see some orderliness in kiosks that's where my interest started in uh, and then i used to watch the plumes then i got involved more in plumes and how they loop around and then uh, that's where i started modeling basically and all uh, and then and then slowly what happened was i found more uh, interest in predictability issues basically me getting into uh, and then of course uh I grew up with uh, this kind of science background and looking at the skies, which means uh, America was something that I really wanted to work and do my sciences in basically because I've always been fascinated looking at people going to moon and stuff like that. And, and then that's how I, my interest in coming here started with uh, from the southern Tip of India all the way, and then I migrated to Delhi. to Delhi to do my, uh, my my PhD, and then I migrated here to, to start with doing working on boundary layer meteorology. That's where uh, I think uh, we have uh, we have been in touch for for, for a while, uh, more or less on urban meteorology. But then it so happened when I, when I took up my first job uh, in Science Application International Corporation. Uh, that's when, uh, in fact, uh, it was serendipity in the sense uh, the project that I was Going to work on urban meteorology. Uh, instead, they they said, "Can you work on hurricanes?" That's where my passion for hurricanes started. Actually, in, way back in 2000s, uh, 2000, and then I I could never come out of it. <laughs> basically, I'm, I've been involved more in modeling and understanding hurricanes. Basically, and uh, hurricane science. That's where and initially it was uh, uh, with the uh, Science Application International Corporation. I was working at. Uh, Uh, at the National Weather Service, uh, specifically at Environmental Modeling Center, and then I migrated uh, to, to, to understand more science uh, of hurricanes, I migrated to uh, the NOAA research, which is AOML, Atlantic Meteorological and, uh, Oceanographic and Meteorological Laboratory, that's that's where yeah, I am Let me currently. give
1: you a little uh, background so that you understand a little bit more about uh, Dr. Gopalakrishnan, but he affectionately goes by Gopal, so that's what I'm going to call him. Uh, he is a senior meteorologist at NOAA's Atlantic Oceanographic and Meteorological Laboratory in HRD, Hurricane Research Division. He leads the Hurricane Modeling and Prediction Program. He has been the leader of the modeling team developing NOAA's Hurricane Analysis Forecast System, or HAFS, which is what we're here to talk about today, because it's really exciting development. I, I believe the this new hurricane model is coming online in this hurricane season, so I look forward to learning more. Uh, he was the development manager for NOAA's Hurricane Forecast Im- Improvement Program, and is the principal architect for NOAA's H-Wharf system, which I know if you follow hurricanes in the hurricane season, you've heard a meteorologist mention the H-Wharf or you've seen it on Twitter somewhere. And as you heard, he was raised in southern India, educated in India and the United States. I want to geek out a little bit because you heard Gopal mention the boundary layer. And that's where we know each other from. A lot of my research is focused on things like urban meteorology. And for those of you listening or watching Weather Geeks, uh, you may not be familiar with the term, but it essentially is the... Roughly about the first one kilometer of the, of the atmosphere from the surface up to about one kilometer, but it varies and it has diurnal variation. But it's really essentially where the atmosphere can still feel the influence of the surface. And uh, that has quite a bit of uh, influence on atmospheric processes. And we need to know more about the boundary layer from an observational and a modeling standpoint. But Gopal has actually turned his attention more to modeling. Uh, hurricanes. So before we go down that road, Gopal, can you just tell the listeners and viewers a little bit more about what HRD and AOML are? Because many people, you and I are familiar with your organization, but many of our viewers and listeners may not.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Atlantic Ocean Oceanographic and Meteorological Laboratory. That's located in Miami and uh, in the Keys. Basically, I can I can I can look at the ocean from my office room. That's how. Uh, and then uh, we do we we do we do more or less focused research uh, on on. Uh, We have divisions, uh, physical oceanographic division, and then we have uh, ocean chemistry division too, where we look at the ocean chemistry uh, related to the Atlantic Ocean, Uh, and then we have, uh, we have uh, the Physical Oceanography Division, that uh, and uh, and then the Hurricane Research Division, where I'm working, where uh, we do we focus more on hurricane uh, research, basically modeling hurricanes, and then we also fly uh, into hurricanes. Many of our colleagues uh, and even I've flown in hurricanes too, basically, and we we procure those data data sets, and then in, in the lab as a whole, we 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 have uh, our our interest is on predictions, basically, and, and science, basically, improving science uh, of hurricanes or uh, the ocean circulation, it could be, and uh, related to the Atlantic Ocean,
1: basically. That's so it's a really important part of NOAA's uh, research labs, and uh, we've had uh, other colleagues on before from places like the National Severe Storm Lab and other uh, parts of the NOAA spectrum want to pivot now to the hurricane season. We are recording this in uh, late June, and we've already had three named storms. So from a climatological perspective, the hurricane season is off to an early start, if you will. And I read that NOAA is unveiling, unleashing, releasing the new HFS model. Uh, My understanding, and certainly we'd love to hear more from you, is that you're going to run that in parallel with I guess existing systems like HWARF and HMON over an evaluation period. And then eventually the thought is that it would completely replace those. So tell the listeners and viewers all about the HAFS model, why it's different, why it's better, and what have you learned in its evaluation period?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's important to uh, have a perspective of what we have been doing. Uh, and I'm excited about uh, something that uh, uh, because. My, um, I should get to the perspective. Uh, Going back in time, about 20 years, I've been working in NOVA for about... 20 years now, 20, 23 uh, years, since 2000. So, uh, yeah, I think I need to travel back a little Please bit do. in time yes. so that I would be, I would be able to keep the right perspective. Uh, now, when we started, uh, when I was, uh, in 90s, we were focused more on hurricane track problem, basically. And then we had models like uh, GFS at, uh, with, with coarser grid resolution, basically. And then, and then in 90s, we were more focused on Track and then came uh, when when I started developing Hwar. Basically, that's when uh, it was about 2003 or 2004. uh, The focus uh, and the needs changed. uh, Came the year 2005. Hurricane Katrina, Rita, these were devastating storms, not only in terms of and then our prediction ability, we thought, oh, we need to improve our prints also, which means it's not only track problem, it became an intensity problem. And then from there on, we started when when the first version of HWARF was developed, the focus was more on intensity prediction basically. And uh, if you want to do, uh, get to for example, rain bands basically or or modeling rain bands, we may not be able to run globally Models basically at that resolution because you need quick t- turnaround time for forecast. We need to do a forecast in about ninety six to ninety six minutes to one hour. So what we do is uh, develop a numerical uh, numerical technique or a technology called moving nest, basically, wherein we, it's, it's like telescope that I was talking about, better resolution, you get to the better resolution. That's how it's related to my, my spatial telescope, the idea of t- spatial. Yeah. So we, we, you try to focus in the region where hurricane, hurricane reside, and then, and then we move as you move, uh, as the hurricane moves, we move the nest so that we can focus on, on, on exactly uh, the inner core region of the hurricane, which, which is what is important for intensity prediction at the same time the hurricane interacts with the environment so so it's it's a technique that's that's unique basically that's more or less developed uh it started with gftl but uh, but with the hedgeforf we uh we uh, we became better with those technique with a higher resolution with better physics in the model uh, so that's uh like like a magnifying glass moving around the hurricane so so that is uniqueness in a hurricane prediction actually the mod modeling that we use uh, maybe uh, that's the advancement that's required for hurricane prediction. So, with that in mind, the HWARF was developed. But uh, what was happening was before that time, intensity predictions uh, were almost I would say uh, it was almost unknown or it was at the zero state. I would yeah, say. we weren't making any progress. Uh, we, we were not making any progress and then came in 2009 when when the when h went into operations then came uh, then came a project called Hurricane Forecast Improvement now it's a program HF program uh, and that's where uh, we started started uh, making progress because we started working with the community at that time. And then we started working between NOVA Research and we, NOVA Operations and this HFIP brought all of us together the whole community together between operations and research and uh, and the community together and there what happened what we started seeing was any model improvements used to come both from research and as well as operations and then we were able to accelerate progress in that in that case and new physics package used to come to the model or anything used to get shared in, in, immediately and what we saw at the end of it uh, is that uh, almost 10 years into HVIP, we improved uh, with with the HVORP alone, we improved predictions uh, of not only track, but also intensity. Uh, that also came from our own understanding, using of observations to improve predictions. All this went into the model. As we see, for example, the boundary layer that you're talking about, we improved the model scheme. It's not only the, uh, the telescopic NEST technology that we are talking about, the observations we started using, not only usually we use it for initializing the models, but here was the first time in H4 we started using that to improve the boundary layer processes in the model. Uh, and we tried to tune it with uh, our flight level data, and there, boom, we saw that the structure of tropical cyclones, especially when you magnify in those areas, started improving. And then we also started seeing uh, improvements in intensity, especially rapidly intens- uh, rapid intensification. Were, we're, we're you
1: starting to capture, in addition to these intensity, cha- were you yes. ca- starting to capture things like eye wall, eye wall replacement cycle? Yes,
2: yes, yes. Uh, one is eyewall replacement cycle, nice rain bands. And not only that, we also started capturing, with some success, uh, ra- uh, rapid intensification. And uh, in, in my opinion, in my mind, rapid intensification uh, is very, very complex to get predicted because you need the connection at the right place to fire up at the right time within the hurricane circulation. And that's why we need those resolutions, basically. And most of my research, of, apart of my my team research, is also focused on using these models to improve rapid intensification, basically processes and predicting them. So that's, uh, that's a complex mechanism. It's not only the ocean that's involved, but then you need better physics to, to model these rapid that's where we got to H-WARF now uh, at the end of it what we found was uh, before I'm going to talk about the next transition to halves. what excites me more than anything else uh, we had moved uh, uh, from a state of no intensity prediction uh, to a state wherein we are 50% better or 45 50% better in intensity we were starting and we were able to even get to a point wherein we were able to get there with rapid intensification as well and starting to understand the rapid intensification processes. But then one should remember that H4 was bottom up in the sense I was at that stage I was, I started the development and then HWARF uh, and then the community picked it up and then uh, it grew as a model inside out. But here comes UFS, uh, the, the, the HAFS, uh, hurricane analysis and forecast system that we started developing thanks to uh, thanks to the collaborative work between NOAA Research and NOAA Operation and uh, National Weather Services, especially uh, Environmental Modeling Center and the STI, which is involved Office of Science and Technology Integration that's involved. So what we started thinking was, okay, instead of having one just the model for hurricane let's let's have this as a common modeling infrastructure built within the unified forecast system where which lodges the GFS as well. So that as soon as you do that, what happens is you are able to bring the community the gfs and the codes together in all in one framework basically and, and that let me just, is before
1: you go on when you say codes you're, you're actually talking about the 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 fork, the computing code the, the, the yes. these models are basically large computer programs that have been coded in
2: these complex <laughs> forecast languages <laughs> Yes, I can, I can go in the way to look at uh, is that we, we divide the whole atmosphere or a region or a globe into grid points basically and we do all these computations at these grid points uh, effectively and the resolution is a matter of improvement, basically. And then we need, as as computers have evolved, better resolutions have come into being. And the telescopic nest, as I mentioned, uh, is uh, is required to get fast turnaround, basically. And that's how these computer models operate, the hurricane models especially. But the, coming back to the, the que- question on what is interesting or what is uh, the improvement in UFS, we are starting, uh, or the U- Unified Forecast System, we are starting with a system uh, that's already uh, like shared basically between NOAA Research, NOAA Operations, and uh, and then we have added this innovation uh, on top of the basic code, which is Zebus. We have, uh, and then the regional part of uh, we call that uh, the dynamical core. Came from our our partners at GFDL uh, Geophysical Fluid Dynamical Laboratory. It's called the FE3 system, and then uh, the innovation here is the telescopic nesting, and then all within the framework of the UFS wherein we we would be able to accelerate uh, uh, accelerate quickly. Secondly. Uh, also, what we are finding is the moment we are starting it already, uh, it's a faster code when compared to HWARF. as a result of which uh, we are able to, within an hour of uh, runtime, we are able to get more things done, basically. And in the sense, we improved the resolution, especially of the regional uh, domain in which this telescopic moves. So what we are finding is within the same time, it's a faster code that can run. And already we are finding... We have brought the best of everything together from the previous generation of the model. And then we have also improved the resolution within the UFS. Uh, The HAPS is residing within the unified forecast system. All this, what we are finding through our initial testing, which last three years we have been developing and testing, we find about 10 to 15 percent improvements in tracks already. And in terms of intensity prediction we were looking at, Ian, we are seeing some promise in terms of rapid intensification as well.
1: That's when we shame. get back, I'm going to further geek out with Gopal on how Noah's improving Hurricane conditions. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only 14.95 at Bite.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door.
0: Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder
1: mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And I'm speaking with Dr. Sanjaraman Gopalakrishnan, affectionately called Gopal by most of us in the community. And he just gave an outstanding geek out on how we are improving uh, hurricane forecasting using these high resolution models. And I want to give you a little analogy just to keep in the back of your head. Uh, Dr. Gopal really talked about the telescoping nature of these measures, these grids that follow the hurricane, if you will. Um, You hear this term resolution, and I want to give you an example of something that you may be more familiar with. You all probably have a smartphone in your hand. And that smartphone has a camera and it has megapixel designation. The more megapixels you have on that camera, the finer detail in that picture. Well, think of the resolution in a model as one of those pixels. So the more uh, grid points we have, the more structure and, and, and actual processes the models can resolve. And so that's where Dr. Gopal is really pioneering uh, efforts here with these high resolution modeling systems that are following the system along, because you heard him say something that's very important. For many years, hurricane intensity forecasts lagged track forecasts. Hurricane track is often governed by much larger scale processes that the GFS, the European model, Canadian model, UK Met office model can capture things like the position of the high pressure systems, jet stream and so forth the intensity changes are happening as i often say when i was at nasa that you have to pop the hood of the hurricane engine uh the intensity changes are happening in those sort of in the ocean in the the core of the eyewall so talk to us a little bit more about sort of how the new modeling system is going to operate this hurricane season and the plan going forward
2: yeah th- this hurricane season uh, we what we wanted to uh, start with is a model that that uh, almost is similar uh, to H Hwarf, uh, so that uh, we can easily uh, seamlessly transition. In the sense that most of these models are storm centric. In the sense, you have a hurricane uh, Cindy, for instance. We run the model uh, with uh, with the telescopicness to start with, focused on Cindy. Uh, And then uh, we we have another strong bread. We run it specifically over that strong bread. But in the meanwhile, we have already developed uh, technology which is very very unique I, I didn't think that it exists anywhere uh, uh, in the world that kind of a technology wherein it's not one hurricane that we can focus on we can focus on multiple hurricanes at the same time which basically.
1: we just recently had with Brett and Cindy they were tropical systems
2: uh, exactly and, and not only they interact with each other uh, it is imperative but right now what we are running is Tom centric and uh, if we go to we call it as a domain centric, wherein you have a huge domain. It could be even a global model and you can embed multiple nest focusing on multiple shops at the same time. That's, the future of what we are thinking and we have the technology and it's under development in UFS. The advantage, what we found earlier uh, with the H-war, although uh, it was lower and it was not, it was more for research than we did at that time, is that storms that are even 1,000 kilometers apart, 500 to 1,000 kilometers apart, they may be able to influence each other in a way the outflow, that's the big outflow that you see in satellite uh, pictures, those could even Influence one another, and that uh, has impacts even on intensity exchanges. So, to further improve uh, hurricane prediction, I think it's uh, it's uh, it's it's imperative that we get to the next generation of these nested grid models, basically. And that's where uh, we have plans, and we are starting to implement. And the advantage with the uh, unified forecast system that we are working with is that. The the skeleton of of it already is equipped to do this, basically. The processing power uh, which is required and the parallel computing that is required, it's all set up that way that we may be able to implement these things much faster, basically.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's very important. A question that many listeners and viewers may have, because I know many listeners and viewers are familiar with the GFS model, the European model, these larger scale global models, I'm imagining in some way the GFS is somehow feeding or initializing these higher resolution models. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yes, uh, yeah, it's like nest inside a nest inside a nest. That's what I would, I would even think about actually. And then GFS model feeds in uh, data at the boundaries, basically, of a smaller region, basically, regional halves, for example, or HWARF. it feeds in the boundary conditions, uh, so-called boundary conditions, and then those the, the, the telescopic nest has the boundary conditions from halves. It's like it's like looking at a telescope once again, uh, bigger scales, larger scales, sma- smaller scale, and the smallest hurricane scale. That's that's how we we have envisioned. So we use the GFS for as you rightly said, for feeding in the boundary conditions. And the the initial conditions are also driven by GFS, but then we also, uh, at high resolution for the model to operate, for example, the inner core, as you mentioned about the hurricane region that we are mentioning about, there we use our flight level data as well as the doppler data to initialize some when they are available so so it's 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 a mix of both the gfs initial condition as well as the high resolution initialization uh, that we we use in all these models
1: Marshall. if you could sort of wave your magic wand gopal and say what do i need to really i mean these models aren't ever going to be exactly perfect because we know we're dealing with non-linearity and linearized equations <laughs> yeah. and chaotic systems and so forth but they're pretty good now but what do you still need what what is the sort of holy grail thing that you need is it still faster computers or is there some observation that you still need what 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 would you say are your needs to improve this high resolution forecast yeah.
2: It's it's all. I mean, all of thanks for asking. <laughs> this is all of them. I can tell you why this is. First of all, we need. Uh, first of all, uh, what is next uh, coming? Basically, now I said in 2000, 2005, we were uh, we were uh, involved in track, and then two thousand fourteen, we have improved intensity guidance, and then. Uh, the products we need more products, especially after landfall. For example, uh, w- severe weather associated with uh, landfall. I have people now starting to ask me, and which means which means expectations have also grown. Hey, what what Ian uh, when when Ian was making landfall near Fort Myers, uh, people were starting to ask me what what will be the influence of that? What will be the winds uh, in in Miami or near my ho- ho- home in Broward? People want that kind of information more and more, and people are uh, more. More people have moved uh, to the coast, and as a result of which, it, it's so important that uh, that we need to have more information first track. Intensity and then we need to get into products that uh, that uh, for example rainfall is something that we are looking at freshwater flooding is so important for all these uh, because uh, that's that's the killer basically for for water Water, is a bigger killer than the the water is a bigger killer than than even winds so we need to get to freshwater flooding and inland flooding and then tornadic activities for all those are are the next generation and as you rightly said we can't get. 100% accurate with uh, uh, there are predictability issues there so as a result of which we want to go probabilistic with all these models which means uh, which means we need to run ensembles of these models with with perturbations or uh, changes to the initial conditions or uh, boundary conditions for these models so if you want to go probabilistic basically if you want to run the same system 20 times or 30 times name it then we need the the computational powers, which are growing. Actually, as we can see, cloud computing is coming along, and then we are starting to run. Even hops. we we have an experimental experimental version that we are starting. We we will go next year or so uh, in probabilistic mode. So probabilistic prediction needs both basically uh, the computing as well as computing power to run this. And the second thing that we also need is improvements to these models. Uh, we have not, while probabilistic prediction, we can simply run these models 20, 30 times. But what we see in more sensitive cases uh, those are uh, the spread in ensembles to even make it meaningful for the forecasters. We, we, need, to be, uh, we need to get there. We are not there. That's, that's a lot of research required, especially in some of these cases like Sandy or, or Joaquin. And, and then I could talk about Michael. Uh, there are several cases in which we see that when, when we run these models, the spread is either too limited or the spread in ensembles is so huge that unless we make meaningful ensembles. Uh we may not be able to help the forecast. So that's one area of research, the holy grail rise there. And in that kind of research, it's not only computing that I said, it's also the improvement towards the physics that we, we have to have. For example, and where observations come in. We don't have observations in the boundary layer that we have one to two kilometer. And then we have the UV uh, unmanned vehicles coming in on board right now. Can we use those to improve the boundary layer uh, representation in these models? Those those are the areas Will that get a better spread in the models. So these are the future area, and that is equally challenging and exciting too, Marshall. When we come
1: back, I will ask Gopal to connect the dots to you all as listeners in the public. we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we've heard a good deal about the advancement in weather modeling capacity and these high resolution models and the HAFS or the Hurricane Analysis and Forecast System, but I want to bring this back to the public now. Uh, You've been studying hurricanes for a long time. Uh, We've seen improvements in tracking and and intensity forecasts. Uh, You mentioned Ian earlier, and there were confusions and concerns about how we presented the information in terms of the cone of uncertainty. And you mentioned rainfall is the deadliest aspect of hurricanes. hurricane. So what do you feel is the general public's biggest misconception about hurricanes from your lens as someone that has studied this from a really more from a modeling and development and technique standpoint, but you certainly are producing information that can help forecasters convey risks. So I'm curious about what you see as the greatest misperceptions out there in the public.
2: Yeah, I think models, as as you rightly said, uh, you can't get 100 uh, percent predictability in these models. And and then these models, uh, the, the National Hurricane Center uses Several of these models, including uh, the, the, the European Center models for track prediction, and what we are doing is one part of the system, basically. And then uh, public, uh, uh, I would say, we, we, uh, nobody should look at these tracks and intensity from a single model. Mm-hmm. To make their own decisions, yeah. basically they follow our guidance. Uh, that's what I, I keep telling. Independent of how many hurricanes are there in the year, uh, you need only one landfall to be really uh, devastating. Actually, it could the whole whole season. Even one landfall could be really devastating. So follow not the models, but follow the watches and warning. And there shouldn't be a misconception on following models and saying, hey. This is where the track lies. This model gives a track here. No, that may not. uh, That may be a challenge, basically, because we are. I mean, like the models don't forecast; they just provide a scenario of what what could happen. And several models. uh, There are predictability issues with models. For example, Ian was one of the cases wherein uh, we we uh, most of the models had bias towards the northern uh, northern part
1: of uh, Florida yeah, my home so, my homecoming yeah. at Florida State was initially cancelled because it looked like at one point it was headed to Tallahassee
2: <laughs> yeah exactly and and some of the, some of the uh, some of the models there are predictability issue and in fact uh, Marshall we are looking that needs research in itself Why, what is the predictability problem there with the M, and that's one, one of the research that we are doing. Nevertheless, what coming back to your question, uh, instead of following models, uh, I think it's imperative that uh, people follow our guidance, basically, from the NSC, and uh, and then uh, the, the, the watches and warnings are issued there. It's not from the models that we issue watches and warnings. It's based on some part in models and it's not model all the time.
1: No, I think you make a great point because if you look at the official track forecast and intensity forecast, sometimes from the Hurricane Center, it will deviate at times from what all the um, social meteorologists are posting. My one one deterministic model run is right. showing. I, I see a lot of people just anchored to the models and the hurricane forecasters at the National Hurricane Center. They compile that information and make the best forecast. And it's not often based on one solution. Final question for you, five to 10 years out, what do you foresee as the next great advancement in either hurricane forecasting or modeling yeah. capacity?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are two avenues. One, uh, the models will keep improving, probably we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, sub-kilometer scale models. Uh, one of the areas that we need to explore is use of AI. Artificial intelligence, uh, and then uh, we are uh, it's, we produce so much of data basically, and uh, and use of AI uh, in, in universities. Uh, how do we use this data to develop uh, better skills of prediction is one, and then use of this data, and we have gone to the extent there are there are we are starting to. Uh, to, instead of the parameterization schemes that we, you, uh, we representation of models uh, using so-called parameterization scheme, it can be replaced with AI techniques that's what i see in the future so what i would even suggest is uh, if because you are from a university uh, there should be and and what i'm seeing is the numerical weather prediction uh, is uh, is dwindling down at, at college levels probably a linkage between nwp and air artificial intelligence will uh, build, build the next generation capacity, basically.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, we've been dabbling a little bit with artificial intelligence, even in some of the research in my group. Gopal, this has been fascinating. I, I, I wish we had more time, but we have a limited time for this podcast. And I knew that this would be a great show because you're such a knowledgeable guest and you're really operating at the forefront of hurricane prediction. Uh It's going to be a busy season, it looks like, or at least normal to possibly trending a little bit above normal. And as you said earlier, it does only take one storm. And so it's important that everyone listening start preparing now. Uh, There is some evidence that when we see activity this early, it tends to sort of remain active. And even in spite of the fact that we're in an El Nino or trending into an El Nino, the sea surface temperatures are very warm. Uh, That's the fuel supply for these big tropical heat engines that we've discussed today. So Thank you so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast.
2: Thank you, Marshall.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And I want to thank everyone at NOAA and the Hurricane Research Division, National Hurricane Center for keeping us safe. You're my go-to for information. Even though I have degrees in meteorology, I always check with what the experts uh, at Miami are saying first. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on Weather Geeks.